but we we have understood that well the message they have transmitted but they don't have any influence over the decisions uh, who has influence are the corporations big capital interest and they want just to continue uh, making profits as long as they can uh, so we need to dismantle this this corporate power we're out of time today's show produced by me that's margaret prescott i'd like to thank the sojourner truth team including assistant producer romero funes and of course mr t teddy robinson our engineer if you'd like a copy of today's show you can contact the pacifica radio archives at 1-800-735-0230 or go online to pacificaradioarchives.org remember to visit our website so and follow us on facebook Twitter and Instagram at So True Radio. Thank you so much for listening. This is your host, Margaret Prescott. You're listening to KBOO Portland, 90.7 FM. Next up, at 9, we have Veterans Voice, a show that deals with matters of war and peace, veterans' health issues, and after effects of war. Then it's, at 10, it's Radio Zine Presents Sprouts. Ann Waldman performed a charismatic inaugural poem for Colorado Governor Jared Polis the first gay governor of Colorado. Then at 10.30, it's Film at 11. Film at 11, the team welcomes back Hallie to discuss that genre in which a wayward offspring returns home due to a death in the family holiday wedding event. Then at 11, it's Pacific Underground. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with the requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available by calling the station at 503-231-8032. Meetings will be held at 20 Southeast 8th Avenue unless otherwise noted. The Finance Committee meets on the third Thursday at 4.30 p.m. KBOO Community Radio is a proud co-sponsor of Privacy versus the Rise of Surveillance Tech on Monday, November 18th from 6.30 to 8.30 at the Northwest Academy in Portland. Cyrus Farivar, author of the book Hobbyist Data, will speak on legal and privacy history and what our rights are currently and how law enforcement agencies and companies can collect and use our private details, often without our knowledge. Again, that's Privacy versus the Rise of Surveillance Tech with Cyrus Farivar, on Monday, November 18th, from 6.30 to 8.30 at the Northwest Academy, 1130 Southwest Main Street in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. Good morning, KBOO Portland. Stay tuned for Veterans Voice. I'll see you on Sunday just after the war We'll hang up our bruised old arms on the wall So check all your armor and guns at the door We'll drink to the end of it all We'll check all our armor and guns at the door on Sunday after the war We'll drown it in brandy We'll drown it in wine When all of the ships have laid anchor ashore I'll pay for your sorrow If you'll pay for mine When the ships have laid anchor ashore I'll pay for your sorrow if you'll pay for mine On Sunday after the war After the war, after the war All the bells will be ringing after the war After the war, after the Nothing will be as before On Sunday just after
to the war Well I'll see you on Sunday just after the war We'll wipe all the mud and the blood from our boots The grunts and the brass volunteers and recruits will carry their burdens no more They'll sell off their burdens at the old surplus store on Sunday after the war Well I'll try to get used to my house and my bed when the flags have been folded and put in the drawer I'll try to forget what I've Sunday just after the war When the flags have been folded and put in the drawer On Sunday after the war After the war, after the war All the birds will be singing after the war After the war On Sunday just after the war calling sisters and brothers welcome to veterans voice radio show on kboo 90.7 fm in portland vancouver 104.3 fm in the willamette valley and 91.9 fm in the columbia river gorge or on the world wide web at kboo.fm and you can hear some of our older shows if you feel like it at kboo.fm slash Veterans Voice. I'm Marvin and Tammy is engineering. Um, that song, Sunday After the War, it, it, just with him singing that, you can tell that he knew somebody that had been in a war and how they felt when they came back and and all that and that's really interesting that uh that he he would do this song uh there's a couple parts in there that really hit me 
I mean, all of it was was good, but uh, the part where he says that the meadows and his fingers are stained, you know, the th- that made me think of my cousin Bill, who was a combat medic in Vietnam, and his fingers were stained, you know, uh, taking care of guys that had been shot or or tripped a, a mine or something, and also remind me of my brother Mike, uh, my Vietnam brother Mike, who was also a, a combat medic in Vietnam, and uh, just that, you know, meadows and fingers are stained, uh, they were stained with blood, and that's what happens in a war. And towards the very end of it, he talks about when he sings a, uh, and it, about you know who's fighting the war the grunts and the brass and uh, and the recruits and at the very end of that part a part of that song he says after the war they're still recruiting so they're continuing continuing to recruit uh, getting ready for the next war and uh, that's what uh, he's singing about there and at 9.30 we're going to do a uh, another song that's uh, really good too that I found. Thirty-six day, three hundred sixty-five days, twenty-four hours a day. Every eighty-five minutes, a veteran kills himself. And there's still the Army, Navy, Marine Corps are still trying to figure out why these guys are killing themselves. And uh, doesn't take much to realize why they do it. Uh, it's depression, guilt, you know, about what they did. Uh, it's not just the enlisted. It, it, 81% of the Army is enlisted men and women, and their average age is under 21. And that's the military that we have today. Is uh, it's still a young army? It's still a young military that that we have, and uh, I would guess that this being that young, that most of them uh, didn't have jobs, and and they thought that they could come into the military and get training for a job, and it's pretty hard to do that because you know if uh, you know you have to have a special special training to do that a lot of these guys get out and men and women get out and and what they were trained for in the military doesn't you know transfer over to the to the civilian corps some of them do but some of some some of them don't and that's a real 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 problem uh, that these folks are having when they uh, when they join the military I was checking about you know how much money since 9-11 that we've been spending on these filthy wars these folks have started and it's 6.4 trillion dollars that they've spent on these wars and uh, that is just just an unbelievable amount of money and and they're not you know they're pu- they're pulling out they're they're going to they're going to pull out of Afghanistan they're going to pull out of Iraq you know they're going to have to come out of Syria so that's still a lot of money and I'm still really worried about the South China Sea boy the US England France Japan South Korea the Philippines, they're still sending true uh, their ships through that area, and that's not a problem. You know, if they would, if they would go through, China doesn't care if about true about ships going through that area, that South China Sea. They don't care about it. You know, they stay in the lanes. They go through there. Nothing's going to happen. What's the problem is that those countries that I mentioned, some of them like Vietnam and the Philippines and a few others, claim those islands that are in that area. 
And those islands, boy, do they're oil. They're oil. And so that's what's part of the problem is that, that it's oil. And China's built up those islands uh, to, uh, you know, what they're doing is they're protecting themselves. Because the U.S., how many, you know, those countries have, um, they have uh, American troops on them. Japan, American troops. South Korea, American troops. Vietnam, they don't have American troops. But uh, Philippines has American troops. So China's surrounded by, you know, the U.S. military. And that's why they're, you know, they want to protect themselves, just like we would want to, that we want to protect ourselves. And as long as they keep, you know, stay out of those waters and just keep going through the channels, there's no problem. But the U.S. and these other are challenging China, Chinese uh, ships. And all it would take was one little mess up, and that's going to be a shooting war. And China is, they have a, a military pact with Russia so that's not would not be an easy war to win you know we have we their their line of their lines of support are very short but ours would be very very long so we have to really start thinking of you know have have them not uh not you know that's that's just crazy just even to do that i have been i have a a couple books I want to talk to you about and I found this book I was reading I get this paper called The Veteran it's by Vietnam Veterans Against the War and I'm going to read some stuff out of it for you a little later but I was reading through there and they were talking about uh, this one book and I thought wow that's really that sounds interesting to me because you know I we uh, no, uh, I know two nurses that uh, served in Vietnam, and uh, this book is about a, an American nurse that served in World War II, and she worked in a French hospital in France, not far f- away from the from the uh, front lines, and she talks about how terrible things were, how uh, people, you know, how devastating the war was to them, how how they were crippled and a lot of m- insanity. And the w- first part that she talks about is a, is a soldier who tried to desert and he was wounded by his own, you know, officers and he was healing up and and she was thinking, you know, we have so many people that are wounded here that need our help, and here we are getting this guy uh, healed up so he can be shot, you know. And and she just had a real problem with that. And she she goes all the way through this book talking about craziness like that, about the violence in this war, and about both sides being just, you know, they would, sometimes these trenches were only, you know, 40, 50 feet apart from each other, sometimes farther. But the the book is by Ellen M. Lamote, and it's called Backwash of War. And it's not a very big book, but it's really interesting. This book, the government banned this book. You know, they didn't want people reading this book. So... Uh, England wouldn't wouldn't publish it. Uh, the U.S. wouldn't publish it. So if if it was banned by by America, it's a good book. <laughs> you know, it's really it's really a, a a good book. And she served, like I said, she served in a French hospital because they had plenty of nurses in the American hospitals. And out at the old Dutch, uh, old Scotch. A cemetery where my wife is buried. There's a headstone for a American nurse that served in World War One, like this nurse served in World War One. Uh, uh, she has a a military uh, headstone that, you know, 
says that she was a nurse in World War One in France. So that's that's really pretty interesting. But that's a really good book. It's uh, the backwash of war, and I got it at Powell's out at Cedar Mills. They had two books, and I got one. It's a very small book. It's not very big. I'm not sure how many pages it got. It has 186 pages. Uh, her name is Ellen N. Lamott, L-A, capital L-A, and then capital M, then O-T-T-E-E. And it's it's a very good book that, you know, I... I I highly re- recommend it. It it uh, it just fascinated me that they would ban this book <laughs> in America and in England. And the other book I have that uh, that I want to talk to you a little bit about is Vietnam Reconsidered: The War, The Times, and Why They Matter by John Kitwig, uh, K E T W I G, and and and. Uh, John wrote a book earlier, not long after he got back from Vietnam, and it's called "And a Hard Rain Fell." And that is a wonderful book. If you can find that book and and you can read that book, uh, it, it's called "And a Hard Rain Fell" by John Kitwig, K E T W I G. But this book, Vietnam Reconsidered. Uh, it just talks about the craziness of the war and how the U.S. government was trying to, you know, redo history to make the war in Vietnam not sound like such a, you know, a mess that it was where so many people were killed for no reason. And John, through this book, I should get John to come on the show. He lives in Virginia. Uh, I should get him to come on the show and and talk about both books because both books are just great. I want to read you a a poem. It was written by Steve Mason. And uh, it says, A billion words, it seems, and then a billion more should not explain our war to us nor change a single lie to truth. We fought a war in a place $100 billion could not buy a thing worth having, which could not be had for 500 piaster. And when our nation spent it, our money and our youth, the monsoons came that year as they had for the past 10,000. When it ended, there was no peace, only the shooting stopped. Not one mother from either side could say, "This is what what was worn, what was won, was it worth it?" You know, and he goes through this book and and has diff, uh, different poems and things uh, that were said, you know, during that war, and it's really interesting. Uh, Here's what Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, a piaster was the South Vietnamese money. So it was in that poem, it's the South Vietnamese money. You have a row of dominoes set up and you knock over the first one and what will happen to the last one is the certain that it will go over very quickly. He's talking about the domino theory there. And this is what Ho Chi Minh said, the president of North Vietnam. All men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This immortal statement was made in the, de- in the Declaration of Independence of the United States of America in 1776. And that's what Ho Chi Minh said. When he put out his Declaration of Independence for the North, North Vietnam, uh, that was in it. That was in it. And he, uh, when he went to Paris, he went to Paris uh, right after World War One, and he wanted to give that to the press. I think Wilson was the president at the time, and Wilson wouldn't, wouldn't see him or wouldn't accept it. And so he just, you know, he kept it. And he tried to get back to North Vietnam, 
Uh, but the French said, well, we don't have a ship to take you back there yet, so you have to wait. And he waited, and then they said, okay, we got a ship. But it was like going from one place to another before they finally got back to Vietnam. And it took him a long time to get back. Uh, he he didn't live to see the the uh, unification of the North and South. He died in 1969, and he uh, he's still really really popular there. He they, in fact they wouldn't let uh, there was supposed to be a vote after 1954, uh, 55 when they cut the country in half, and there was supposed to be a a uh, a vote national vote North to South. And the South Vietnamese government, which was our proxy government for the United States, uh, said, "Well, we're not going to give. We're not going to have a have a a vote because they knew that if they had a vote, that Ho Chi Minh would win the whole thing because he was that popular because he had beat the French, and he had beat the Chinese, and he had beat the Japanese in World War II." And so they knew that he would be that he would be elected. So, you know, it took them all the way until 1975 to reunite that country after it was cut in half, not by the Vietnamese really, but by the old fat white people. <laughs> you know, white guys uh, were the ones that cut that country in half. And he, uh, you know, they there's one. There's one man that was in the Politburo about, but uh, he was, his name was Lay Swan. And Lay Swan was hardcore, boy. He, uh, he had fought the French at a young age. He had been uh, captured and, and put in a French prison off the coast of Vietnam. Him and a bunch of them escaped and went back into the, to the jungles to fight the French. And when the French were finally defeated, he went back up north, and he became part of the Politburo. And and then he became the head of the Politburo, and he was hardcore boy. He, he, did, he did not want to sign any kind of a treaty until the U.S., the French were out of his country, and the U.S. was out of his country. And he, boy, he was a hardcore guy. He he believed in unifying uh, Vietnam, and he he fought for it. And a lot of the a lot of the people on the Politburo and some of the other people, uh, like my friend uh, the general, uh, he he said that he thought that they should have maybe uh, tried to to make a peace treaty, but Le Swan wouldn't do it. That's how much he wanted the U.S. out of his country. So, and I think that uh, Ho, Ho Chi Minh probably wouldn't have signed a treaty, treaty like, because he was that way too. He did not want any foreigners in his country. He did not want them telling, telling them what to do. And I don't think Ho would have, uh, would have wanted them to sign a treaty that didn't, you know, give Vietnam what they deserved. And General Zapp, you know, the most famous general that they had, uh, he he was kind of leaning a little bit to uh, have some kind of a, a, a peace treaty, but uh, Le Swan said, no way. And so he was the boss, and so they didn't, didn't do it until they got the Americans to say in 1973, that we're pulling all of our troops out. And uh, then he said, okay, so let's get these troops out of here. <laughs> and uh, and Vietnam, you know, became one in, in 1975. And they're doing really well over there. They, you know, they're, they're kind of a, they're a socialist country, but they're also kind of a capitalist social country, you know. They, uh, Good living's good. They 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 have plenty of money now that they didn't have before because we had an embargo on them until I think 1994. There's an embargo against Vietnam. The Americans had an embargo, and and Bill Clinton's the one that 
that got rid of the the uh, the embargo against Vietnam. So they we're going to play that second song uh, in just a few seconds. Are you ready, Tammy? Go ahead and play it. Would you know until their leaves are showing that with weeds all your garden will abound? If you close your eyes, stop your ears, hold your tongue, then how can you know? For seeds you cannot see may not be there, seeds you cannot hear may never grow. In January you've still got the choice. You can cut the weeds before they start to bud If you leave them to grow high They'll silence your voice And in December you may pay with your blood So close your eyes, stop your ears Close your mouth, take it slow Let others take the lead and you bring up the rear And later you can say you didn't know Every day another vulture takes flight there's another danger born every morning In the darkness of your blindness The beast will learn to bite How can you bite if you can't recognize a warning? So close your eyes, stop your ears Close your mouth, take it slow Let others take the lead and you bring up the rear And later you can say you didn't know Today you may earn a living wage Tomorrow you may be on the dole Though there's millions going hungry You need disengage For it's them, not you that's fallen in the hole So close your eyes, stop your ears Close your mouth, take it slow Let others take the lead and you bring up the rear And later you can say you didn't know Today the soldiers took away one Tomorrow they may take away two Surely it was taken last year But surely they will never take you So close your eyes, stop your ears Close your mouth, take it slow Let others take the lead and you bring up the rear And later you can say you didn't know It's alright for you if you run with the pack it's all right if you agree with all they do If fascism is slowly climbing back It's not here yet, so what's it got to do with you? So close your eyes, stop your ears, close your mouth, take it slow Let others take the lead and you bring up the rip And later you can say you didn't know The weeds are all around us and they're growing it will soon be too late for the night If you leave them on the wind And around the world is blowing You may pay for your silence with your life So close your eyes, stop your ears Close your mouth and never dare And if it happens here They'll never come for you Because they'll know you really didn't care That song's uh, called A Song of Choice and it's sung by uh, Peggy Seeger, and that's her husband singing b behind her. And I, I'm I can't remember his name, but uh, she uh, was born in New York City, but she moved to England, and she married this man, and she stayed most of her time in England. But she has a wonderful voice; she can really hit those high notes, and. Uh, one of the things in this song, it, 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 it uh, really talked about what we have to watch out for. You know, the like like she says in in this song is that slowly the fascists are coming back, and that's what's happening right now. You know, they laid silent under underground and did what they wanted to do and and uh, and tried to grow as much as they could and and. Uh, Till you know, till this guy, this orange-faced, blonde-haired guy, got in the in the White House, 
and they thought that this was their choice that they could now get out and do what they want, wanted to do. And that's why I, you, you know, uh, the sisters and brothers in Rose City Antifa, they're on the front lines. You know, they, they see what's going on and they're not afraid to, to, to confront these people. And that's why I support them because they, they, they see what's going on and they know what happened in the past and they don't want that to happen here. So that, that's why I support them. They're, they're on the front lines. And fascism is a horrible, horrible thing. You know, look what the Nazis did. Look what Mussolini did. You know, look what happened in China when they went into, I mean, look at, at Japan when they went into China. The brutality of these people are just just terrible. They're violent. They're violent. You know, this, this so-called patriot prayer, first of all, they're not patriots, and they're definitely not religious. With their patriot prayer, that's just, you know, they just, I don't know where they got the idea for that, but they're no more patriotic and they're no more religious than a man in the moon. So <laughs> that's my two cents on that. <laughs> so, you know, that's just it. I I, I got the, the, um, the if, if you want to get the, uh, this paper from uh, VVAW, Vietnam Veterans Against the War, you can you can write them and they they'll put you on their mailing list and you can get this paper. It's really nice, you know. You can you can write to them, or you can uh, go on their web page. Uh, it's uh, Vietnam Veterans Against the War Inc. A National Office, a PO Box three five five, Champaign, Illinois. 61824-0355 or you can call them at 733-569-3520 and you can, e you can uh, email them and it's vvaw at vvaw.org and the paper is really good they have all kinds of wonderful stuff uh, wonderful articles written by you know vets and their and sometimes their their wives or their husbands, and one of the one of the uh, stories this in there's so many is the myth that mask an imperialist war. The man who fell from the sky. Oh, there's some more in here. I gotta open it. Sorry, you guys. I'm kind of slow today. Well, maybe I won't open that. Um, you know, th we just had Veterans Day, and it shouldn't be called Veterans Day. You know, it was originally called uh, Armistice Day. And so that sounded too much like peace, you know, and so they changed it. The, well, the Americans changed it, changed it to Veterans Day. That's just like what this government did after World War II, they changed uh, uh, from uh, the Department of War to to the Department of Defense because it's a lot easier to get money for, you know, Department of Defense to defend yourself and not so much for uh, Department of War to fight wars. Uh, so that they changed that. They changed that. But, you know, we just had a Veterans Day and... People, if they find out you're a veteran, you know, they always say, thank you for your service. And a lot of vets don't like that. I don't like it, you know, but a lot of vets don't like it. And uh, I never, and, and the other one that I don't like is welcome home. I don't like if that's said by a Vietnam vet or, you know, just anybody. I don't like it. I don't like it, so I never say that to to a, to a non-vet. Never, ever. I always say, "I'm glad you made it." I'm glad you made it, and that's uh, that's that's what I believe. 
Okay, I'm going to try and read this to you folks. As if there's something wrong with me. This is Thank You for Your Service. It's by John Ketwig. Huh. As if there's something wrong with me. As if the life you might have lived were just a fiction, just a dream. As if those California dawns were just a promising with without you. As if the rest of us can get along just as well without you. Since you've been gone, they've taken boys like you and me and killed them in Grenada, Grenada, Lebanon, the Persian Gulf, Panama, Afghanistan, Somalia, Iraq. And yet I'm told I'm living in the past. Maybe that's the trouble. We're a nation with no sense of history, no sense at all. That is really good. That is really, really good. There's, there's another uh, article in here. It's called Another Brother. I'm not going to read that because it's kind of long, but it's really, it's interesting. What I like is the poems that, uh, I think my my uh, Vietnam brother, Mike Hasty, I think he, he may have had... Uh, some pictures in here, or he may have may have had some uh, article because he writes some really really good articles. Uh, he went back to Vietnam with me and Rico and Jerry uh, in 1994, and he took a lot of pictures. Mike took a lot of pictures, but they're really good. So, but and in fact, I have some in my house that. Uh, that he's never come to get. What makes a man, even as my dad lay dying, cancer back a second time and moving fast, he blurts out, I should not have fought. Out of nowhere had the secret reservoir of memories and shame he'd carry all, all his life. The weight of it I never fully understood until that moment World War II he meant the two of us alone a man who had missed the great adventure of his generation Ike's great Ike's great crusade the crusade for all those men around him all his life the test they'd passed the clubs he couldn't join his son, the ex-Marine, the one who had come back home from Vietnam, insisting it was all just useless. <laughs> I can't say the word that he's got here. Just a, le a lethal scam that only proves how gullible each generation can cannon fodder is. Only in the moment in that room did I begin to grasp how important my father must have how impotent my father must have felt through all those years how much he must have taken my enlistment as a personal rebuke rebuke and how my subsequent insistence that that i had validated nothing in myself must have been to him a kind of treason dying now in 1988 he still could not let go of Cousin Bob, who had been dismantled by a German mine, but died a man in 1945. Not like this, wasted, helpless, haunted by shades of what he thought he was and what he wished he had been, a nurse's aide to change his bedpan, too much time to think, and nothing either one of us could do to change a thing. That was written by W. D. Earhart. You know, my 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 father fought in World War Two, and he never talked about it until he got older and was ready to pass away. Uh, he, when I was going to go, when I was going to Vietnam. He sat, we sat down, he talked a little bit about it. 
but he he didn't talk a lot. But when he was getting close to dying, he he wanted to talk about about the war, about about what he had seen and what he had done, about what he wished he could have done, and what he thought needed to be done in that war. He, we have a picture of my dad. I think it was uh, taken in 1944 when he was in Italy. He had came through North Africa and fighting through North Africa, and he came to uh, Italy, and he was he was a forward recon infantryman, and he ran into his brother, my Uncle Charlie, and I think it was in Rome, and my father and my Uncle Charlie, who was in the infantry too, but in a different division, and they were standing in front of my dad's half track that he that he was part of for that forward recon company and and both my father and my uncle charlie aren't smiling you know they're 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 standing there and and they're not smiling you know and my dad my father was a really a great guy and he he smiled some but he didn't smile a lot and he joked around very little. And he didn't, he, he was happy, but he was really sad. He was sad, but Uncle Charlie was sad too. My Uncle Bill, who fought in the Philippines, I mean fought in, yeah, in the Philippines and fought through those islands, he was always, he, he was sad. My Uncle Levon, who was on the Navy ships uh, fighting and kamikazes trying to blow up the ship and everything. He he was sad. And my mother's brother, Uncle Charlie, another Uncle Charlie, he was a medic in World War II. And he, he, he was sad, too. All those guys were sad. And, you know, I know why, because <laughs> I'm sad. Uh, but that they were really sad coming out of that war, and they dealt with it the rest of their lives. And my dad, all of them drank. You know, they all drank pretty heavy. And my dad drank pretty heavy until uh, he got hurt on his job, and and then he he he, he just quit drinking. But my dad was uh they, they, those guys weren't happy. And you know that's a, that's a sad thing. He was a good good father, but uh, he wasn't very happy. So, but I'm going to look here see if I can find uh, something I want to read to you. So if you could hold on just a minute, I'll look and see if I can find it. Boy, my computer's slow. <laughs> Tammy, I need a new computer. Okay, let's see if it comes up here. <laughs> you know, we talk about, when we talk about war, we usually t only talk about uh, the uh, Americans. You know, we talk about Americans. But I, I read about the Germans. I read about the Italians. I want to know, you know, I read a lot about the Vietnam War, not just from books that Americans have written, but books that the Vietnamese wrote, uh, the North Vietnamese and the Viet Cong wrote. And I like, I like, you know, I want to know what happened to me. You know, I want to know why this happened to me and why it's affected me. But I found this really cool. Well, it's not really cool, but it's a letter. If I can get this to up, oh, it just died. My computer died, Tammy. Oh man, that's too bad. I really wanted to read you this letter home. A letter sent by a, a German soldier in the trenches in World War Two, World War One. No, I just my my computer died. 
it's trying to reboot itself, but it died. Yeah, I really wanted to read that to you because it's a, it's it's German. He's in the trenches. Uh, he he's got water and mud up to his knees, and and he talks about the other, you know, that they can't. Uh, bury people that they have to either you know stack them up until they can can bury them and they they still have bodies you know in no man's land which was the land between the two two uh, trenches and he talks about that and the first thing that he says in this letter home to his mom he says dear mom war is hell you know and he he goes and talks about that he really wants to see his family. He really wants to to come home. That nothing's been settled here. It's just it's just useless. And he just wants to, you know, end it and 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 come home. But they don't. Oh, he also asked his mom to send him some socks. Because his socks are always wet, and his he can never get his get you know have dry feet and that they're all getting trench foot, and the the he wants he wants some socks, and so that letter you know after he he does he says I gotta get busy now I'm sorry I can't write anymore, and then he he uh, writes another letter to his mom. And it says, you know, that the war is still the same thing. Nobody's moving anywhere, and people are getting killed for nothing. And and he says, I still haven't got your box with my socks in them. And he just talks about the war and, and what's going on with the war and that how everybody's really depressed and they, they want to get it over with. And then he tells his mother he loves loves her and and all of his brothers and sisters and then he writes a letter another letter to his mother and he says the war is over and he says we can come home he says I finally got your box when I opened it it was empty somebody had got to it first and took all my socks he said <laughs> and so you know, all that time he was waiting for his socks, and and somebody opened the box and took them out. That's pretty sad. But he uh, he wrote a couple more letters, and uh, when they found out that that the Germans had, you know, lost the war, uh, they were really depressed, and they didn't know what was going to happen when they got home. They didn't really know how they were going to get home. And they were talking about that. And then I had another letter. And this was an American in World War One, And he was talking about how afraid he was. How he didn't want to fight anymore. That, that everything was crazy and, and nothing was right. And people were dying for no reason. He said that the that the uh, the French uh, were shooting guys who uh, would leave from the front and go back, you know. And he said they happened a lot, and he didn't think that that was right. And he said he felt sorry for the for the Germans that they were having to go through the same thing, uh, the craziness of the bombardment of the trenches by both sides about the the gas the poison gas that was coming in and hurting people hurting the Americans and it was just a just a sad sad letter and uh he ended it by saying that he loved his mother and all that and right below it, there was a little thing about him that he died. He he was killed, you know, uh, not long after he had written that letter home to his to his uh, to his mother. And another story that I read 
it was about I think we've talked about it before it was about Christmas time uh, where the Germans wanted uh, they would holler across no man's land and they were trying to get the Americans to you know have a truce with them they wouldn't shoot at each other for the Christmas time and that they would holler over, holler over, holler over, because a lot of the German uh, Germans spoke English. Because some of them had worked in France, some of them had lived in the United States, you know, and they 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 finally they made a deal and and they went to a couple of them guys got up and walked out to the middle and met the Germans and slowly but surely both sides came out and they were talking to each other and they were trading stuff. You know, and he said one guy even got one of the one of the Germans hats with the spike on the top and they were trading cigarettes and they were showing each other pictures and, and talking and just, you know, having a good time. And so they went back to the trenches and the next day was Christmas and the Germans had a Christmas tree. So they all came back out and they were, you know, they were trading sea rations and cigarettes again and and all of that and they had they had a you know just had a party and so when they finally went back to their trenches uh the american i was reading what the american was saying he says those guys are just like us he says they got families they got children they're just like us and they in one of the uh he said that but when he got ready to walk back to his trench, that an older German came up to him and said, uh, we need to have a peace. We need peace. And the American says, well, tell your f- boss or whatever they call him uh, to to do something. And the German soldier looked at him and said, we've got to have peace in our hearts, you know. And after the uh, after the truce was over, they had a hard time getting those guys to shoot at each other. After they, you know, met each other and they they learned that those people on the other side was just like them. So they had a hard time. They moved. They got a lot of those guys out and put them you know, in the back and brought new troops up to the front and the Germans had to do the same thing that they could that they couldn't get these guys to kill each other after they'd, you know, met each other. And one of the soldiers was talking to the German a German and the German he asked him, How can you speak English so well? And he says, Well I lived in London and I was a waiter at this certain popular uh restaurant and the soldier said, American said, well, I eat there, I eat there a lot. He says, well, I could have been your waiter. I could have been your waiter, he said. So that's, you know, that the, the military right now is having a hard time, hard time getting recruits. The economy's good, and uh, people aren't joining up. And so what they've decided they're going to do is they're going to change the way they recruit. You know, they, they're going to have uh, advertisements and commercials and all this, and they're going to push more things, you know, these technical jobs you can get. You know, you can become a, in medical or you can come into intelligence and all this stuff. And... uh we're just about out of time. Tammy just told me. So uh, we'll be back on December the 20th at 9 a.m. And there it is.
share of engines and a thousand different fights. I was there at the little big horn. I heard many men lying, I saw many more dying, but I ain't marching anymore. It's always the old to lead us to the wars, always the young to fall. Now look at all we want with a saber and a gun. Tell me, is it worth it all? For I stole California from the Mexican land, fought in the bloody Civil War. Yes, I even killed my brothers and so many others, but I ain't marching anymore. For I marched to the battles of the German trench in a war that was bound to end all wars. You are listening to KBOO Portland 90.7 FM. The time is now 10 a.m. Up next, Radio Zine presents Sprouts. Ann Walden performs a characteristic inaugural poem for Colorado Governor Jared Polis, the first gay governor of Colorado. At 10.30, it's film at 11. The team welcomes back Haley to discuss that genre in which a wayward offspring returns home due to a death in the family holiday wedding event. And at 11, it's Pacific Underground. Don't forget that you can hear all of these programs after they air on KBOO.FM or on iTunes and Google Play. Want a third way to listen to all your favorite KBOO programming? Then download our mobile app today. of Flash. Starting Thursday, November 7th at the Clinton Street Theater in Portland. Flash returns for its fifth anniversary and the retirement of this live theater production. When the Earth is threatened with destruction by the planet Mongo, Flash Gordon attempts to save us. But Ming the Merciless, Emperor 